Happy New Year! Father Harrison, Happy New Year! Why are you not as excited as I am? Happy New Year! It's Advent, baby! It, it is Advent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Advent. It's Advent. It's Advent. But is it, <laughs> is it really the new year? Is this more of a new cycle? Listen, this is the beginning of the liturgical year, and I think that means Happy New Year. I'm very excited about it. I'm tired of green. Let's get some purple in this business. I'm, See, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm someone who appreciates God's created order, and God's created yeah. order says the year, the new year starts on January first. I, you know, uh, here's a deep dark secret of theology that I don't completely believe. I only half believe. Uh, I half believe that the church can make stuff up, and God's totally cool with it. So if the church says the new year starts now, I think God's like, yeah, sweet, cool. That but works. But has the church actually ever said this is the new year? This is the beginning of the liturgical year. Father Harrison, which cycle of readings were we on a week ago? Ordinary time. Yeah. Like, yeah. And year A, right? Yeah. This is year B. But is that like a magisterial statement or is this just like a title that's just given to the cycle? Uh, Harrison, uh, is it year A? No, I'm just saying it's I'm year just, B. Listen, I'm just Sounds asking questions. Sounds to me like I'm just a asking new questions. year. Happy just, New Year! <laughs> oh my gosh! You know what? I'm I'm glad because I think we needed a little bit of a break because I feel very I'm very excited to record today. Same here. But same here. As I was saying, it is a new year, and you, New Years mean a lot of different things. So it's the beginning of this new liturgical year. That means things have ended and things have begun. And how do and we wanna, how do we begin? By ending how, stuff again with Advent. It's like the end is coming. <laughs> it is weird. It is weird. It is we can talk about that maybe a bit yeah. later. But um, uh, speaking of something that's ended, I have an announcement I'm very excited to make. Something has ended on Clerically oh. Speaking. Uh-oh. What? I have fired producer Nick. What? Did you hear last week's episode? Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So producer Nick's like, I will do a little bit of content on my own. I won't tell the priests. I'll just do it, and there'll be no consequences. Actually, well, no. He well, hold on, hold on. He what? did tell us. He did. Tell he didn't. Us. Yes, he did. I mean, did, I listened did you read, to that episode. Did you did you read the texts that he sent us? I I listened to the episode. Did you read the and texts? He, and he said that he was not going to tell us about this. This is uh, kayfabe. Stay kayfabe with me. Okay. okay? So he said he wasn't going to tell us. And he thinks just because he's the brother of the world's okayest priest, he can just get away with stuff. But I'm not a clericalist. I don't play that way. There are consequences to our actions. Hmm. And if Nick wants to like go rogue on us, well, guess what, buddy? You're fired. So how is he going to make this up to us? He's going to make it up to us by... Um, editing this podcast and continuing his job as normal. <laughs> okay, I, I actually no. I wanted to push for something. I want. I want. I want my own um, Summa Tweetologica mug. That's fair. I feel like we should, we should get. Can we get mugs for free? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. I want one of those mugs. So I think that's what he owes us. He owes us yes. each a mug. If you haven't checked out clericallyspeaking.com lately, uh, producer Nick. <laughs> has used his creativity to put his own face on an image of Thomas Aquinas. On our podcast. Thomas... <laughs> on our podcast. <laughs> and instead of Thomas Aquinas holding the Summa, he's holding the little Twitter bird. And it's it's just the silliest thing. And I, I'm not going to lie. I love it. It's, it's I great. I kind of so... totally love it. I, I it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. It's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, if you want to support Clerically Speaking and get stuff, uh, the mug is pretty cool. Uh, so before 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 you go any further, speaking of yeah. kayfabe, how, what did you think of Summer Series or uh, not Summer Series? Uh, um, no, I'm Survivor Series. Survi Survivor Series. Sorry. I you know, I'm so proud of you. I'm. I can't believe this is the first time we've been doing this two and a half years, and you have asked me about wrestling. Well, so and there are reasons for this, and I, you know, part of me is kind of sad that you didn't hang out with Father Dan and I the other night when we were mm -hmm. watching it together and father Nick right. and, a few, and, and Kyle and a few other people, we were all watching it together and you weren't there. I wasn't there. So I'll give you my own explanation. Mm -hmm. So survivor series, historically speaking is kind of like a Thanksgiving pay-per-view. And I was at the time uh, busy and I wanted to save it for Thanksgiving. My Thanksgiving was temporarily canceled because I had a little, a little bit of a COVID scare uh, since then, I have tested uh, negative, and I haven't had symptoms in over a week, so I'm feeling pretty good. So I ended up watching 
uh, uh, Survivor Series uh, as my family was napping after our Sunday Thanksgiving. So I did watch. I did watch the whole thing. Uh, so I thought it was okay. There's some entertaining things. Mm-hmm. The tag team match was excellent. I was disappointed by the men's uh, five on five match. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Asuka versus. Um, uh, Sasha Banks was amazing. They have they have very good chemistry in the ring together, and um, while the main event was slow and a little bit plodding, I thought they booked it uh, pretty well. I very much like both Drew McIntyre and uh, Roman Reigns right now. So overall, I enjoyed it, mm-hmm. and I think you have to be very careful. I'm gonna give you some inside scoop if you don't know stuff about wrestling, like any kind of fandom. If you become like there's a there's a bell curve. Like you start mm-hmm. by just like oh wrestling is fun, and then you start watching all these YouTube videos and listening to all these podcasts and stuff. Then you're like oh wrestling is stupid, and you become super snarky about everything. But then you you progress, you become enlightened, and like you know what? If it's fun, then I like it. Hmm. And I I enjoyed the pay per view. So what did you think about it, Father Harrison? <laughs> Why it was did interesting. you? I, yeah, I, I, it was a Sunday night. I had not a whole lot going on for whatever Must reason. Must not so. have. <laughs> Uh, so, because yeah, the reason I didn't have much going on is because we're we're closed down for a couple of weeks. Well, not that I don't have much going on. Let me rephrase that. I just didn't have as much as I usually would, and so right. usually I'd be saying mass at that time, and instead I uh, I wasn't. I had um, some free time, so I was like, oh, Father Dan's hosting a hangout. I'll go check it out. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what happened. Um, it was it was okay. It was interesting. Um, I kind of agree. I think some of the matches were better than others. Um, and I think part of, you know, it's hard to know who to cheer for when you've just kind of come in cold turkey and stuff. Um, sure. The, but what it did for me, what I found interesting, because I, I unfortunately, the one part I missed was like the goodbye to The Undertaker. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I had yeah. to go to a religious ed meeting, which was fine. You know, that's just the way it is. Um, um, but uh, it kind of got me looking a little bit at, oh, it's like, hey, you know, I remember, because again, I used to watch this stuff in the 90s um, a little bit. Not not like huge. I went to I went to one event in Vancouver, I think it was like, uh, I think it was a pay-per-view too. It was like a, mm-hmm. it was a um, buried alive match or something like that. Nice. Uh, so Undertaker and Mankind, I think, was the main event. Amazing. Which is anyway. So it got me. You know, I was like, okay, you know, his career is coming to an end. It'd be interesting. You know, I was like, what? Did, what was his first match like? It'd be really interesting to look into that. And you you mm-hmm. watch, and it was like. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting, and 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 how the and then so you, then you start watching some by some things about the history of the character. You're like, okay, that's that's interesting how they kind of and how like wrestling fans are okay with that the fact that a character can actually essentially be multiple characters over time. Yes. But there doesn't even need to be continuity. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like there's a new person now. It's like okay, and it's like okay, that's interesting. And then I and then it's like then you start looking at some other stuff because again, I, for me, like the ninety late nineties was was like the peak time for wrestling and so many well, like, literally anybody it was like who, was a, who was a yeah anyone who was a kid in the 90s everyone watched wrestling in the 90s it's not just that but that was the time because of the wcw coming up uh, yep. it created a lot of competition and so i mean like you so you start looking into stuff you realize what just how revolutionary stone cold steve austin was as a character yeah. and how really it's because of stone cold steve austin that it really pushed the wwe over wcw mm-hmm. and stuff like this right bret hart's uh you know you look into the montreal screw job and you're like and you know there are those and questions you like, should be an expert on this because you're a canadian yeah, i know you need exactly. to know these things this is right. a part of your culture <laughs> exactly. you guys don't have a lot you've got maple syrup you've got a lot of geese you got a lot of moose and you've got wrestling and the fact that you uh, only hockey? hockey oh and hockey yes hockey, hockey? and and and, and, and by the way we also we also usually celebrate thanksgiving on sunday so that means you are a canadian now yikes you know what? I'm willing to become uh, at least half Canadian if you're willing to become a wrestling fan. Okay. That is a trade I will make. There you go. So it was, you know, it was interesting. And then you start beginning. I found like, a, a series from Vice, like Dark Side of the Ring. Oh, it's great. It's, it's great. It's really good. It's like, I love it's it. like, I did not know all the stuff about, um, um, not why my, uh, Chris Benoit. Yeah. Like, super dark. That was super dark, freaky. That was, that was, it was sad. It was sad. Yeah, it's incredibly like, sad. It, it, but it also shows it's like, and there's that part of me. It's like, man, people really do this to their bodies just to make money. Is this okay? <laughs> money and glory. But it also does sound like there is a lot more safety today than there was even 20 years ago. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's still a very dangerous thing. It is. But, uh, but it's like, wait, uh, and and oh, this is the best part. Nick Mick Foley. Yes, I saw a little documentary with him in it or something like that. Every time before a match, he does a sign of the cross. 
There you go. Catholic. He's got four kids. Yeah. Is he actually Catholic? Is yeah. he baptized Catholic? Yeah. Ah, awesome. And I think he's practicing Catholic. Ah, look at that. Which is kind of cool. That makes me happy. That's kind of cool. Very cool. Sorry. So I was kind of. It was interesting. I'm just not sure. I just. I. I. Here's my thing. This is why I'm, I'm always hesitant to get into anything. Mm-hmm. Because I am going to just go all in. And this. And, and that, you can the, with wrestling. And it, and that's dangerous for me because mm. so that's why it's hard for me to have hobbies in general because my personality <laughs> makes it very difficult to just enjoy anything in moderation. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that you can enjoy in moderation is clerically speaking. Welcome to clerically speaking. <laughs> I'm Father very, Anthony. I, I'm Father Harrison. After that very 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 long uh, um, intro there, uh, yeah. Oh, do you want, it's funny. Now I just remember I had a banter topic and now I've totally forgotten it isn't that fun well, i think well i mean the fact that you ju- ended up talking about wrestling with me in our intro segment uh i think that's good enough oh okay okay i'll keep it i'll keep it for the next one okay i'll keep it for the next one that's uh, that's plenty that's you're right it is plenty <laughs> okay in that case we will not have a 45 minute long suma intro we'll have a regular 40 second intro to the suma tweetologica Summa tweetologica, summa tweetologica, summa tweetologica, summa tweetologica, we talk about tweetologica, summa tweetologica, The Summa Theologica was Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology. The Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. Uh, Timothy P. O'Malley, he tweets, Catholic theology needs philosophy. When philosophy isn't sufficiently taught, theology suffers. Mm-hmm. And this reminded me of, uh, so I, I was walking into, um, I had to do confessions for our faith formation. So I did like one class of uh, uh, confessions and I just visited the classrooms and just talked to the kids a little bit. Um, and one of the teachers like just totally wanted me to just, just talk a bunch. I was like, yeah, okay, fine. And the kids were asking me questions. And somehow we got to the question of philosophy. I think I was telling them what it takes to become a priest. And I, w- I was telling them that um, a lot of questions about God are actually th- uh, ph- philosophical questions, not theological questions. And so I messed with these eighth graders' brains a little bit. And I gave them the old, can God create a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? Super fun question. Because the question is really about, uh, it's seemingly about God's power, right? Here's the thing, though. The question's irrational. Exactly, you, but you can't cut to the chase. You have to make people suffer first. <laughs> I know. That's what's the point in knowing philosophy if you can't make others suffer? Another reason why it's very Christian Wis- to know philosophy. Wisdom. Wisdom. <laughs> there is no wisdom without suffering. Okay. Um. Actually, that's kind of true. Anyway, uh. So it seems like the question is about God's power, right? Because God is all powerful. Um. And so. The kids would be like, can God make a rock so heavy he can't lift it? Yes, because he's all powerful. Of course he can make a rock so heavy he can't lift it. Then you tell them, well, that means there's something God can't do. He can't lift this very heavy rock. And they're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. No, God can't make a rock so heavy he can't lift it. And then it's like, well, then the problem is that means God can't do another thing, right? And of course, I make them realize that while the words seemingly make sense, the content of the question is irrational. You're saying, can a thing do a thing it can't do? It doesn't actually make sense. So while it seems like a, a clever question, you've actually just spoken nonsense. But, I mean, if you don't have, like, some sort of philosophical training, uh, you might get duped by that. Right. But Which is just a kind of silly, fun example. Say that a, um, even, I think, even more important than learning the history of philosophy, which I think is, is valuable, you know, going throughout, you know, because you can help understand a lot about the world, even today, by understanding philosophical systems of weird Germans, right? That's important. But I think even more important than that is that philosophy trains you to think better. It trains right. you to make distinctions, to think more clearly, mm-hmm. to 
ask qu uh, right questions, that sort of thing. And that's what really helps you understand theology. Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big uh, philosophy stan. I, I love, I love it. I think it's important. My, my, my entire first chapter of my thesis is dealing with the problem of mediation in 20th century metaphysics. So, you know, it's, I, I, it's fun. <laughs> and, and the more philosophy uh, you learn, the less scared you are of the words Father Harrison says in the podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's, it, it's, um, uh, it, it's, it is, it's, it, but it's so important for me in so many ways because, and, and, but at the same time, philosophy cannot be truly philosophical without theology at the same time. They need each other in some ways, right? Pope Benedict always likes to use this phrase that uh, reason has to be purified by the truth, um, mm. right? And so, because if philosophy just stands alone, then it, it can easily fall into reason by itself without being answerable to anything truly objective outside of oneself, right? It becomes a subjective exercise of reason where it becomes a kind of pure logic. And, and, and so, or we, or we treat philosophy as so separate from theology that, um, it becomes this pure logic. And even as Catholics, we tend to, we, we tend to not see, um, philosophy opening up to theology as, and, and it does teach us good methods, but those methods always have to be purified by the truth of the gospel. Right. So for example, I, I, I'm probably going to actually do a podcast on this one because I think it's really important. Mm. Um, around the idea of like, how do we think and what is the idea of truth as Catholics? Because I think it's something we've deeply lost and I think it's really showing its, um, its colors right now. Um, so, you know, if you do just philosophy, then, then it's all about strict reason to the point of, um, a logical system while the Catholic vision of truth that argues that is actually the natural vision of truth is paradoxical. Mm. Right. It's holding two things true at the same time. Right. Because why? Because of the incarnation. God is both God. Jesus is both God and man at the same time without confusion and without separation. So how does that what does that mean on how we see the world and how we see ourselves? And, those, and that's important. So and this is why Rat, Ratzinger and um, Regensburg address really argues for theology to be a part of the university mm. because it's part of reason. And it's part of the as part of philosophical inquiry. So, I mean, that's just, you know, basic stuff, but, or not basic stuff, but that's just general level stuff. Um, yeah. But it is, it's so important. It's like, and they, you know, I, I hear a lot from seminarians, well, I have to study philosophy. I'm like, trust me, trust me. You're going to want to learn as much as you can in these years, because it's going to form you so that, because the whole thing, when you're a priest, you're, you're thrown all sorts of weird situations. And it helps you to think that things aren't always black and white. Things aren't always clear cut. And you don't freak out about it because you're like, wait, maybe there's another way to approach this issue. Maybe there's another way to look at this. Maybe, you know, you don't, you, you can actually, and you can, and it helps you listen and not freak out when someone comes at you with a different worldview. And so um, theology without philosophy is fideism, but also then philosophy without theology becomes pure rationalism. They need both, yeah. they both need each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there was something about what you said that I really liked. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's okay to grumble about philosophy if you're a philosophy student because it it's the process of learning philosophy is very much like having your brain melted and then scooped back up and put in your head again. Yeah. And that's not always an easy process. It is not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I'm very grateful. Uh, I mean, it was especially nice for me because I was able to get four years of training mm -hmm. because I entered right out of high school. So I just got a, a degree in mm -hmm. philosophy. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, um, I, 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 did, I did my undergrad in philosophy as well. I mean, I went through a few programs, yeah. but that, and now I was at a secular university. And mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for that, actually. Yeah. Especially the point of like not getting freaked out about opposing ideas. Yeah. This is something that can, can, can plague believers. Um, even if you run into like, if you're Catholic and you run into a Calvinist and you're blown away by double predestination or whatever else, uh, a lot of time, or if you're a Catholic and you're talking to an atheist and they seem to trounce you with their own arguments, um, if you're well-trained in philosophy, that stuff doesn't freak you out. Uh, it gives you more stuff to think about. Yeah, I think a lot of problems with a lot of times, and also a lot of like popular, quote unquote, popular commentators on theology. You can tell they do not have a, a sound uh, philosophical background because right. they 
are not able to interpret what these theologians are saying. And so they might cast aside something that is actually very faithful and they'll say it's heresy or the opposite mm-hmm. saying this is, you know, uh, you know, the opposite of that. Yeah. Um, but uh, Catholics should not freak out about ideas. No, um, it, no, it's, it's, um, I think one of the good trainings, especially if you approach philosophy with the Catholic spirit, yeah. um, you can start to see, and I, I take this a lot from Maurice Blondell, who I did my master's thesis on. Um, I, you know, his method has really kind of influenced how I even like practice pastoral work uh, because it, it allows an openness and a patience to say what is true in what you're saying, even if the logic or even if the final position is wrong. What right. is true here? Because the I think one of the issues a lot of times in dialogue and conversation we have with people is we, we presume that because their conclusion is wrong, all the premises are wrong, and so you, you throw everything out. That is, no, no, that reason will say, well, actually, no, there's a kernel of truth here. And this is actually how the fathers practiced think, um, thinking when it came to engaging with ancient philosophy. They said, you know, Plato and Aristotle, they, they, got, they got seeds of the truth. Virgil, like all these guys, they got seeds of the truth. Because it's part of the created order and reason can naturally kind of tend towards God and to look at to his effects in creation. And so the world, since the world reveals God, at least on a, nat- in a natural level, you know, natural reflections on, the cre- on creation and, and God, even if it comes from a pagan person, can have truth to it. Sometimes they might get misguided, um, but you, you take what's good there. You don't throw it all out because I think that's a lot of time. That's a lot of the issues in a lot of discourse is we think this person is all wrong in all places. And then, because then you get the other side. If you say, well, actually, no, they're right here. People say, no, no, because they're wrong here. It's like, it just creates a lot of nasty back and forth. It's like, no, no, good philosophy, good reasoning will say, what's good? Let's find out what's good here. Like, like, so for me, like the guys I've been writing on right now, they're engaging a lot with Heidegger. And they're like, Heidegger's philosophy has a lot of issues. Yeah, it's also confusing as heck. First of all, there's that, but there's also a lot of good in it too. And and they're saying he actually has some really good insights around the question of being. The his issue in the end is that he doesn't have a good concept of analogy, and so being cannot created. You know, beings cannot really reveal a transcendent personal God. For him, everything's still imminent in the created order. But just because that's his conclusion doesn't mean some of the things he says to get there are wrong. And so a good thinker will say, let's take what's good here and let's apply this to the tradition and see if we can. Because then it helps us to speak to people today who actually buy into Heidegger or into yeah. that worldview and say, and that's how we, that's how you're supposed to do apologetics. That's, right. That's, that's going to bring up my next point because yeah. like, even having a good understanding of human subjectivity or motivations is helpful as well. If you listen well to an argument with a pastoral mind, um, you can be like, oh, wait, is this the thing you care about? It sounds like this is the value that you care about. Because let's be honest, as, as reasoned as we try to be, we all have different motivations underneath. And sometimes if you have a discussion where you can discuss those motivations mm-hmm. openly and honestly, then you can have an even better conversation right. about, um, like, even for that silly uh, paradox about God lift, making a rock right. you can't lift. Like, what do you care about if you're entering into that discussion? You care about whether or not God is all-powerful. And right? whether God is reasonable. Right. And whether God is reasonable, right? Yeah. Um, so once you like, okay, these are the things that I care about then you can have a more honest discussion because a lot of times it ends up just like playing a chess game. Mm-hmm. It's it's not about the personal motivations, which always uh, enter into, because even some of the um, theologians that really focus on the subjective and the personal and who go off on crazy things and will end up saying things like, in a certain sense, God uh, suffers. And I know I'm, I'm dancing around a lot of really deeper issues, um, but you see some of the value of their thinking is that subjectivity and emotion is helpful in reason. Uh, Once you're able to talk about it, discuss it, realize our own motivations, that is a kind of knowledge that can help us in our conversation in pursuing the truth. Yeah, yeah, okay, I gotta do an episode on this because I wanna talk about this, because yeah, this is the whole thing about apologetics. That's why I get, listen, okay, I mean, I I gotta nuance this a bit to ensure I don't uh, freak people out. Um, I'm proud of you, do your best. But we, we, this is why apologetics requires a lot of patience and a lot of charity. And, it, and, and I get, listen, we all want easy to understand answers. 
it's important. It's it's necessary. And I think like sometimes the way apologetics is done, um, that can help us at least start off, at least starting off. Like I know for myself, when I was starting to practice my faith again, listening, to, you know, finding like apologetic sites and dealing with questions around Protestantism, even though I didn't knew no Protestants was actually a very helpful way to start things off. But, and I, and I, and it's not some, so I'm not saying it should be like totally rejected, but it, it just for, so it's helpful. I think more for us to start as a starting, as a basis where we're looking for those simple answers to give us to say, yeah, this is why my worldview is justified. It gives me a place to stand. But when we're, you know, engaging in a more professional mode with apologetics, we should never, um, we should be careful of offering a too simplistic, like logical proof. Because the fact of the matter is logic is only one aspect of knowledge and reasoning. It's not the total. In fact, for the medievals, uh, the higher form of knowledge and knowing is the intellectus, the receptive contemplative side of man. Ratio, that logical kind of breaking apart and reasoning side, that's actually lower in the soul. Yeah. And is less, that's actually not what makes us truly reasonable. Because even the animals at times can break things apart. They can do spatial reasoning and stuff like that. It's the contemplative side of man that makes us truly reasonable. And so that requires then a listening to the heart of the other to see what they want to do. So like for Blondell, for example, when he was doing his, his, his stuff on apologetics, he's saying, what is, what is modernity actually saying? And is it, and does it hold up to the truth of itself? And does it hold up to the truth and the powers of reason and to the critique of reason? And that's the kind of method he goes on. And he goes through like, and this is like a 500 page work where he's exploring this idea. And he says it doesn't because our human desire desires something more than can ever be possibly even explained by human reason itself. It transcends itself to the point of transcending the created order. And so pure imminence, this world is not enough. It has to open up towards God. But he's, that all started because he took, he took the modern position seriously that says there is no God. Or if God exists, he's not interested or interacting with this world. And so all that matters is our own desire within the created realm. He said, okay, I'm going to take you at your word. Let's see if it holds up. That's good apologetics and that's good reasoning. And that's why philosophy is so important. Nice. Sorry. I I think, no, 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 that was good. I think we did a good job on that tweet. That's uh, (laughs) stuff I'm passionate about. So yeah, I will do a full, fuller episode on this one day. All right. I guess I should choose a tweet. Okay. This is a fun one. I saw this one on Twitter. I thought, well, this is a fun intellectual uh, exercise. Um, Okay. Let's, 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 that's what we just talked about. Let's, let's, let's uh, (laughs) exercise our intellectual muscles. Okay. This is from Nicholas um, at, at wow. It's Nicholas. (laughs) <laughs> um, if babies don't sin, then will we ever be holier than when, than when we were babies? I think this is a serious question. And I thought, you know what? This is, it's a fun question at the very least because yes. um, it's, uh, it's, it's trying to get at the question of like, how does grace work? Is gra- so this is, okay, let's, let's, let's take our last tweet as a little moment here and let's break this down a bit, right? It's asking a question around grace. How does grace work? Okay. It's take, asking a question about um, what is the effect of original sin in comparison with personal sin, right? So if a baby is bapt, if, if, if babies really don't sin because they have no personal responsibility in sin, and so there's really nothing held in account to them, um, and they receive the sanctifying grace that comes through baptism, do they become, is there, is there, um, is that not just the holiest place to be? And it's all downhill from there. It's all downhill from there. And if you look at it historically speaking, there is a little bit of a, of a vein in that in the early church. Right. Uh, oftentimes, uh, catechumens would put off getting baptized until they were much, much older in life. Because right. at the time, confession was not as well uh, established. It's still a sacrament, but wasn't as established in the church. So the idea was, I'm going to wait until I'm old and about to die, then I'll get baptism. You mm-hmm. see a similar thought process here. And that happened with um, with uh, Constantine. At least that's mm-hmm. the popular thing that's being said is that, yeah, it, it, uh, it was... Um, it was uh, he waited till his deathbed to be baptized, although he was baptized by an Arian. But um, that's another question for another day. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, so it's a fair question. But so then if that's the question. OK, so then how does grace work if our baptism gives us sanctifying grace that grafts us onto Christ through his church 
and gives us everything we need to be a saint, um, then can we actually become holier? And I think the question is honestly, yes, because sanctifying grace is, is um, it's while Christ gives us everything of himself, it also requires in us a receptivity to the gift. And I think it's on that subjective side. So like that's where the question is interesting, right? Because it, it sees, yeah, like, yeah, this is true. This is what sanctifying grace does. But it where the question, I think, where the question maybe ignores something that I think is important is the idea of freedom in grace, right? How do I receive this? How do I, um, how do I appropriate the gift that has been given to me? Which is itself is a grace in answer to a grace, obviously. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but um, lots of grace, lots of grace, grace, just, grace, just grace, grace, grace everywhere. Just, just, just. Fire hoses of grace, you know, yes. so, um, um, Christ gives his whole self to the person through baptism, but life is about appropriating the gift that has been received. And that is a, it's always a full gift given. Um, but it's not just about sin. It's also about the openness of the heart to the gift that is received. And so the person who like at St. Therese of Lisieux, I would like, there's a reason Outside of the holy innocents who are 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 um, saints because of their martyrdom, mm-hmm. uh, this is why we don't have baby saints in the church, because it's not saying they're not holy and they're not in heaven or anything like that. It's just saying right. they don't have they don't have the life that shows the reception and appropriation of grace through their own freedom and their own free will saying, yes, I want what God is offering me and my whole life is going to explore and chase after that. And so I do think, yes, you actually do get holier as you get older because sanctifying grace um, is always, and, and, and that's the other thing. There is no end to being holy. <laughs> even when we get, like, I, it gets me to explore the, the idea of like, maybe when we even were in heaven, is there this idea of like increasing sanctification because God's infinite. <laughs> God's infinite, and we're always going to be com- contemplating the infinite God. Exactly. And co- part of contemplation is reception. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes Sorry. sense. Yeah. 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 But I think there's also something else, uh, a, a cultural issue underlying this as well, where it's, uh, I think that it's been uh, here and there in Catholicism, probably throughout history. Um, it's a very kind of puritanical thing as well. The idea that holiness is simply avoiding sin. I think if you eat a lot of Catholics, and they might not think it consciously, but very often they will consider, I am holy if I have not sinned. And you get into different levels of scrupulosity on this. Um, a lot of times, like you sin, or you, you either legitimately mortally sin, or you think you mortally sin, and immediately you cut yourself off from prayer, you go into this spiral, you refuse to do anything spiritual until you go to confession. And uh, when people say they're doing well, a lot of times what they mean, they think they're doing well in spiritual life. That means I am not, I have not done one of the sins that bothers me. Therefore, I'm doing well. Now, now indeed, if you're not doing the sins that are that bother you, there's something good about that. But I think uh, just on an experiential level, uh, there is a certain kind of holiness uh, about when God, because here's the thing, God allows us to sin also for a reason. One, because of free will, but also because God will use that experience. The person who has been white-knuckling holiness their entire life, who has consciously or unconsciously been striving through holy, for holiness through their own will, through their own strength, God will let you do that on your own strength. And you fall and you hit rock bottom eventually. A lot of times it's that experience. And I've had the experience. I think most people have had this experience if you're pursuing the spiritual life. It's like you've been running up against a brick wall over and over again. And you feel bad because you keep getting concussed spiritually against this brick wall. And then finally, you come to a revelation that like Jesus Christ is everything. And this is something that I've been kind of praying with and, and contemplating and working with. That... And this might not be the best way to phrase it, but it's what's been working for me, is that I almost have to let go of the idea of holiness. Because in my life, it's been very corrupted. In my life, holiness is very much like a video game. You get so many Jesus points or you get extra um, uh, you know, character traits by doing this many rosaries or whatever, that sort of thing. And what holiness really is, is more and more abandoning yourself to God's divine will. 
And so for me, the, the transition has been more and more taking myself almost out of the picture. And it's not that I don't have a response. And it's not that I don't have certain things to do, but more and more relying on God's grace. And the way that God chose to bring me to that spot was by allowing me to sin and allowing me to experience his forgiveness. I think we we don't realize how dirty and complicated the pursuit of holiness is. And really how much of it is, is God's work and not our own work. Um, that there's... The reason why Mary is so holy isn't just because she was conceived without sin. It's also because she followed Christ and suffered with him. It wasn't just because she was um, immaculate, which even, I mean, that's a really big deal. Don't get me wrong. But it's also because she was the perfect disciple. She said yes in every moment. She said yes in every moment. In a way, we idealize holiness as if it's some thing outside of ourselves and outside of our moment as a kind of spiritualized idealism rather than something achieved through the moment, through the created incarnate reality, through the things that are given in front of us. Right. Um, that, that, that's, you know, that's how you achieve holiness. Holiness is not, okay, I want to chase this ideal. So that, to achieve this ideal, these are the 10 steps I need to take, but rather it's an answer to God's will in this moment right now. Right. Yeah. And so um, it's about really it's about actually being paying more of a contemplative attention to the moment we live in rather than a contemplative attention to the goal. Say holiness is only achieved right now. Yes, I, I completely agree. This is the image I've been using. So holiness is walking with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so often we're like, Jesus, but I should be all the way over there down the road. Right. And Jesus is like, we're, we're going there. But we're like, but if I ran, I could get there faster. It's like, well, then you wouldn't be walking with me. Right. And this is like a whole paradigm shift um, for myself and for a lot of people. It's like, no, 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 no. You are here with Jesus now walking in the right direction. And yes, you're going to stumble and he's going to pick you up and you're going to go off the path. And come back. But the point, the point of holiness is just walking with Jesus mm -hmm. right now. Exactly. Don't worry about the goal. He knows where the goal is. He's the shepherd. Exactly. The sheep doesn't get to figure out where the goal is. No, exactly. No, 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 no. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Amen. We should. Awesome. Do a topic now. I, I, yeah, let's do a topic now. You sure, know, why I not? I really liked our discussion on both of those tweets. Those are, those are good. Uh, that was a hey, good discussion. Hopefully what, we got more good stuff for you. Yeah. In Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're going to learn. <laughs> it's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best part. Oh, yeah. Yes. Quite. Yes. It just shows you sometimes, you know, yeah, maybe a break is a little nice thing once in a while. Just to, because uh, when you're going every single week, every time, it's like you always have to create new content and it's tough. It's tiring sometimes. And you're just like, my brain feels full. So a little break, it's like, oh, wait, I feel refreshed. It was very refreshing. Um, so uh, like I said in the beginning of um, the episode, uh, Happy New Year. This is, objectively speaking, we both agree, a new year. Because not only is it that year was B, the most something you've just done right there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we both agree. The experts yeah, agree. agree. The experts people agree. are saying, a lot of people are saying that this is a new year. Um, <laughs> and because it's a new year, we get a new breviary. Before you go any further, can I just say one thing why I'm really excited about this, about the new breviary? Like Tell the new me volume? Why. For somehow, I think I lost somehow my, my volume four in my move. So I've had to pray on my phone for the last like 12 weeks or whatever. And so I'm just so happy to be back to a physical copy. I'm just super excited. I mentioned this as well. I don't know what I did with my copy of uh, Volume 4. Right. I, I have checked my producer Nick's house. I have checked my parents' house. Uh, I have checked my friend's house. Those are the only other... Those are the only places I've gone. Yeah. Uh, I have checked uh, several of my seven churches. I do not know where it is. So I have been using the app on my phone. But the problem... It's very hard for me to pray with the app on my yeah. phone. Because normally I like to pray morning prayer and office of readings uh, during my morning holy hour. But right. I know if I bring this phone in this chapel, in the chapel, I will check Twitter. So I've had to d bring it outside the chapel and I've been praying it, but it's just been super annoying. So I, I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. Very good to have the book. Yes. All right. Sorry. I interrupted you. 
No, 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 that's good, because I was going to bring up that story anyway, because I think we mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, But hey, we talk about liturgy hours all the time. Yeah. Father Harrison, what is the liturgy of the hours? What is the bravery? It's the prayer of the church. Mm Mm-hmm. With the script, with the Psalms, right? And so the church prays with Christ, the head, uh, the entire Psalms, which is the Israel and the church's cry to God. Very good. But we're going to make this even simpler than that excellent answer. The, <laughs> uh, the Liturgy of the Hours um, is a prayer that's existed in many different forms since the very beginning of the church. Mm-hmm. And it even has uh, Jewish roots. It has mm-hmm. roots in the Psalms that are prayed. Um, because in the Psalms, it talks about uh, praying uh, five times a day or, or seven times a day, right? Yes. Yeah, so. And you know, waking up in the middle of the night to praise the Lord. That's in the Psalms. And so this is something that uh, has been a tradition in uh, you know uh, the Jewish faith and something that Christians continue to do, um, because how do you? What's the best way to pray? Well, it looks like through divine uh, scripture uh, that God has given us some words to pray. So how about we keep doing this? And what was very exciting for the early Christians is that they got to have a whole new look on the Old Testament. That now they realize because of Christ that everything is referring to Christ in some way. So not only are these the words of David, uh, of the psalmist, not only are they the words of God, these are the words of Christ. One, he actually prayed them. Mm -hmm. So Jesus Christ prayed these words. Uh, And two, you can hear Christ's voice throughout the Psalms. Mm -hmm. It's his cry to the Father in many cases. Um, So Christians are very excited about this. So very early on in different forms, there's the praying of the Psalms. Uh, over time, especially in in monastic cultures, uh, they more and more codified this sort of thing. So let's you know pray seven times a day, praying the Psalms. Uh, let's try to get through all of them in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, as the church expands and goes outward, different traditions develop, just like with the mass. How different traditions develop throughout the ancient and medieval church. Mm-hmm. And at various times, popes try to bring it all together, try to reform it, try to make it more unified, because. Uh, the idea is that this is the prayer of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. This is liturgy. Mm-hmm. And uh, for liturgy to look like what it is, it makes sense that the prayer be the same. Right. So if we're a one body praying one prayer, it should look pretty similar. Right. Right. So throughout history, there's been tons of this, just like there have been tons of reforms uh, with the mass. Uh, most recently happened uh, after, during Vatican II? After, I think. It was, was talked, they were started working on, they started working on it during Vatican II. Yeah, and we're expecting, an, because there's a new typical edition in Latin, and mm-hmm. so now they're retranslating the entire breviary right now, which I'm really looking forward to, because like, so, because like our closing prayers, for example, do mm-hmm. not match the translations that are in the Missal. Yeah. Uh, and just as a side note, because uh, every seminarian is a bit of a dork, uh, all of us dorky seminarians, we, we ask the uh, seminary faculty, can we can we just write down the, the prayers that are in the Mass, the new translation, and use them for yeah. uh, the Liturgy of the Hours? Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that's the, that was the one benefit of the phone. It did put that yes. translation there, which I always really it liked. Because, yeah, but that, that's my one little, that's one of my, that's my one little beef with the, with this, mm-hmm. is that it does, it's not updated. But it's and the there purpose. should be a beef about that, because part of the idea of praying the liturgy of the hours is that it is an extension of the, the mass. mass. Mm-hmm. So it's it's if the mass is just to use a, an image, if the mass is the heart of the tree, if it's the, the 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 trunk, then the liturgy hours are the branches that go throughout the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's like kind of the lifeline in between masses. It keeps the prayer of the church uh, flowing. Uh, it connects you to the mass in this way by praying these uh, liturgy of the hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Father Harrison, who prays the liturgy of the hours? Uh, I mean, anyone can, mm-hmm. um, but it depends. So, priests are obliged to pray it five times a day, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, I know a lot of religious communities, like religious sisters and stuff. They often will do something like morning and evening prayer, and that's part of their rule. But it's not mm-hmm. given to them by the church. It's just something that they live in their own community. And a lot of them do right. that, right? Um, but priests are the ones who are at, all priests, whether religious or secular, are bound to pray the breviary every day. 
Right. And so it depends on the community, right? So uh, for permanent deacons, a lot of times that varies from diocese to diocese. The ordinary decides. Um, really? I've, that's what I've heard. Uh, that's uh, in some dioceses, or maybe it's just, this is what I've heard from some deacons. So take it or leave oh, it. But man. they're only obliged to pray uh, morning and evening prayer. I bet the local ordinary I has the power to do that. I have not. No, I don't think so, because it's the law that binds all clerics. Uh... Interesting. Uh, keep on talking. I'm gonna gonna do a little research. If if we were editor's desk, we could go to the law and well, figure this where out. Where do you think I'm going right now? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. But definitely in religious communities, you, you yeah. follow your own rule and there can be uh variations in that. Yeah. Well one of the uh interesting things about this uh recent edition of the Liturgy of the Hours is that it has certain focuses in the reform. Uh, one was to make it more applicable to the modern life of the priest. Right. Uh, so it has been simplified and shortened. I find it interesting uh, in reading The Priest is Not His Own um, by uh, Fulton Sheen, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, that he has a little section on the Liturgy of the Hours. And of course, what he's talking about is why is the Liturgy of the Hours so hard for priests? Why is it so difficult mm -hmm. that very much for priests at, at his time, the Liturgy of the Hours very much felt like a dry obligation? And that can be for seven re several reasons. One, it was definitely longer. Uh, two, it's in Latin. And uh, just because you can say all the Latin words at mass doesn't mean you have a firm grasp of Latin. So it can very much feel like just going through the motions for not all priests, but this was a thing. And his conclusion was, well, I guess that's good because this is a part of our suffering for the world. By doing this obligation, by feeling the, the pain of, of dragging your eyes and moving your lips uh, uh, to say the words uh, that are in the breviary, uh, you are being very priestly. You're offering up your pain for the world, which I thought was a clever <laughs> way to go about it. I was expecting him to say, this is why the Liturgy of the Hours is so beautiful and wonderful. But that's not the first thing he went for. Right. Uh, interesting. So, but yeah, so it's been simplified in that way. Yeah. Uh, one of the other ways it's been changed is that some of the, the cursing psalms, some mm -hmm. of the cranky psalms, which is... uh, are, are not in uh, the Liturgy of the Hours. So there aren't... The, there isn't the entirety of 150 psalms in the Liturgy of the Hours, um, which uh, I think makes some uh, priests and seminarians a little bit cranky. We want to pray all of the uh, hours. Right. Uh, I mean, all of the psalms. But uh, the reason why, at least in the Apostolic Constitution that was uh, promulgated before this, was that uh, because it was being translated in the vernacular, they were afraid it was going to upset some people. And so... Uh, my interpretation is the reason we don't have all the cranky psalms, the reason why we don't do that is because we don't want old ladies in churches uh, being scared about praying about bashing their enemies' babies across rocks. Yeah. Um, so I think that's maybe the best reason why it's not. Yeah. Um, so update. Yeah. Update. So I was looking into this. Um, yeah. So canon law, this is... Uh... Uh, this is a live update. <laughs> uh, 270, uh, Canon 276, um, subsection uh, 3. Uh, priests and deacons aspiring to the presbyterate are obliged to carry out the liturgy of the hours daily according to the proper to prove liturgical books. Permanent deacons, however, are to carry out the same to the extent defined by the conference of bishops. And so then there's something ah. from, so it's not something up to a local bishop. It's up something up to the conference of bishops to decide what a permanent deacon is to pray. Um, and it's very, it's just a little, this is from the congregation for divine worship, actually. So this is a little actually interesting thing that like they even have a same yeah. thing saying, like if a priest has to say multiple masses in a day, or has to hear several hours of confession, he may have, um, after examining his conscience, if he feels that he's, he's done a lot, um, um, then he can, he, he's not bound, but he's not, um, he's not under any pain of sin for missing it. One of the mm -hmm. hours or something. I was like, Oh, that's actually, I never heard that before. I was actually kind of not that I'm going to use that as an excuse now, but it's just like, right. I was like, Oh, that's, that's reasonable to hear, you know, because I think it's recognizing you're offering liturgy in so much the other way that it's not the end of the world. If you miss daytime prayer for, because of that. Right. Uh, so let's let's talk about that. So yeah. we we made uh, as secular priests a promise to pray right. the liturgy of the hours, yeah. right? And uh, I very much saw that. Um, I mean, not that, I, uh, but for example, at my first assignments, I might have a seven a.m. mass 
a nine o'clock mass and then an eleven o'clock mass. Mm-hmm. Boom, 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 boom. Right. Mm-hmm. So I might pray um, early in the morning. Maybe the office of readings, mm-hmm. but I have to go open up the church. I have to make sure everything's uh, closed. Things are set for the next mass. Do all these things in between hand. Maybe I preach for too long. Uh, so in that schedule, I think that would be one of those reasons where maybe I don't do morning prayer that day. Mm-hmm. But when I'm done with all my masses, I move right on to daytime prayer. Right. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. It's. I'll read. I'll read the. Um, um, is is the obligation sub gravi extended to the entire recitation of the divine office and the divine congregation? The congregation for divine worship says this: a serious reason, be it of health, or of pastoral service and ministry, or of an act of charity, or of fatigue, not a simple inconvenience, may excuse the partial recitation and even the entire office, according to the general pr- principle that establishes that a mere ecclesiastical law does not bind when a serious inconvenience is present. Uh, the total or partial omission of the office due to laziness alone or due to the performance of activities of a necessary diversion is not listed and even more so constitutes an underestimation according to the gravity of the ministerial office and the positive law of the church. Um, and it's and it's interesting. It actually makes a distinction in the... in the. Um, I'm going to read this a bit more actually if that's okay because it's actually really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, this is not planned at all. Um, to omit the hours... <laughs> and we're going to get to more um, about... Uh, lay people in the office in the Sorry, moment, yeah, yeah. so don't yeah. turn off if you're not a cleric. Don't worry. But this is a, to, I'm, I'm learning. This I'm is learning good. too. This is great. Uh, <laughs> to omit the hours of morning prayer and evening prayer requires a greater reason still. Again, uh, that these okay. hours are the double hinge of the daily office. Right. From Sacrosanctum mm-hmm. Concilium. If a priest must celebrate right. Mass several times on the same day or hear confessions for several hours or preach several times on the same day and this causes him fatigue, he may consider with tranquility of conscience that he has a legitimate excuse for omitting a proportionate part of the office. So there you go. That is, just, that is interesting. I, I, what I like about that, it's actually very balanced. It and is. And fair. Uh, that that this is, but it's also interesting. It shows that really the two important parts of it are morning and evening prayer. And so, a lot of times, uh, when uh, lay people first get into uh, praying the divine office, uh, a lot of times there'll be like shortened divine offices, which are just morning and evening prayer, because those right. are the hinges. Those are the big prayers. Um, they're you know longer than some of the other ones. Um, so that makes a a lot of sense. Right. But one of the other um, reasons for the reform of the Liturgy of the Hours is to try to bring together personal prayer and liturgy. Um, let's see. Where is this statement? I'll look for it later. Um, but uh, it says in the Apostolic Constitution somewhere mm-hmm. that there should never be a conflict between personal prayer and the liturgy of the, and, and liturgy in general. Mm-hmm. That these things ideally should be squooshed together. And so it talks about the priest should... Um, teaches people about the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And that just reminded me of, uh, in seminary, we had to either take, at least for me, I had the choice of taking the prophets or taking the Psalms. Because of my course schedule, I can only pick one. Yeah, I ended up picking prophets. I don't regret that because it gave me a great scope of uh, Old Testament biblical history. And I very much enjoyed that class. But I did, like, I wish I could also take Psalms. Yeah. Um, and this priest who's a professor in Psalms would lament in his class because this is what he teaches, this is what he studies. He says, you will never hear, and I bet you will never preach a Sunday homily based around or centered around the uh, psalm response. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of true. Like, I rarely even reference the psalm response. Um, so maybe that can be a challenge for Advent. I've, I've preached Do on you... the odd psalm before. Right. But not often. On a has... Sunday? My, uh, a couple times. Okay, but, but, you. but my um, but it was uh, but my Old Testament prof had the same thing. I never hear enough preaching on the Psalms, and it's like, right. yeah, no, no, it's it's fair, it's fair. Yeah. Um, uh, and, getting and, back to and oh, you make it, sorry, you just make a great point. Something uh, Father Paul Hedman brought up on Twitter the other day because he he said this, and I think it's a good point. I haven't done it yet, but you know, this is a great time because um, the the germ, the general instruct, or sorry, the general instructions for the liturgy hour, not the germ, but the general instructions for the liturgy hours. I guess the jith. Jeweler. The gift. The jith. Um, yeah. Um, or, yeah, anyways. Um, he says that, you know, it's a good time of year to go over it again to see if you maybe got a little lazy about something or whatever. And I thought, yeah, yeah it's a good point. And, and one of the things he brought up was how it, it's encouraged when doable to pray this publicly in the parish. 
for anyone to join. So then it becomes that public expression. And I actually, I didn't know that. <laughs> I yeah. was like, huh, that's actually, yeah, you know, or at least you try at least once a week in a parish, you know, maybe before a Friday mass or something like that, or, or during adoration or something, you're going to do this as a parish. Yeah. Um, our seminarian uh, here has started a Monday night class. It's like a teaching and that sort yeah. of thing. And a lot of times there's also adoration and they pray the liturgy of the hours. Yeah. And the people have really gotten into this and they're like, can we sing it? And so now he's teaching them how to chant. And one nice. of the things that it talks about as a way to make this a more personal prayer is that it allows for different communities to decide um, their own uh, chant tones. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember there, there's some uh, Minrad chant tones, a lot of uh, tones that a lot of seminarians use. But I remember visiting a, a congregation of religious sisters. I forget which one it was. But they do their psalm tones based on the punctuation at the end of each line. Mm -hmm. uh, it was how they did it. Um, so that's how, hmm. what notes they would pick and everything. Right. And it was really neat. Cool. Um, but uh, let's talk about the spiritual benefits yes. of this bad boy. Yes. Uh, I know. But Paul here's Harrison. the thing. The Ken Lawyer, the Ken Lawyer fans of this podcast are just going to eat that part up. I'm sure they will. They'll love it. Yeah. You're welcome. You're we got, welcome. We've got a wide audience. It's hard to cater to everybody. Listen, theology um, is still the queen of the sciences, though. Everyone, including Ed Condon, has agreed with that. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, why? Uh, okay. Harrison. Yes. Father Harrison. Uh, what are the spiritual benefits of praying this? Or what have the spiritual benefits for you been praying this Liturgy of the Hours? You know, I'll be honest. Like some days there are those up times with it. And sometimes there are those down times where you're just like, I've got 20 things going on today and I got to squeeze this in. It is, I will say, I, I think the life of a modern priest, it is probably harder today to do it when there's a lack of stability, not just in terms of like parish assignments or anything, but also a lack of stability in daily life. Your daily life, it's very hard to order around a, a, a pattern of life. This is saying, let's set up a rhythm of life. And, yeah. and those days are hard. It's hard to get that going sometimes. So, uh, but for me, what, where it's been a benefit is actually that fact of rhythm. Like I think when the church gives us our, our, our liturgical life, it's there to really kind of guide the rhythm of our life. So like I know for example, especially when we were locked down back in March, um, um, this actually became a great help during my day. It kind of, because days and weeks blended together so easily, I, I, you, you kind of lose track of time a bit. This kept me in time. And um, so it also like, listen, there are those days where you're just like, I don't, it's hard to pray. Yeah. But I know if I do this, Christ is praying for the church through me. Yeah. Regardless of how into it I feel or whatever. Um, it, you know, sometimes I can read it faster, but it's always, and it's, when, I, when I do that, there's a the little question that says, slow down, contemplate it a bit. And that's always like, I'm grateful for that question in me because it's like, no, no, this is not something to be rushed through. Uh, this is something to be contemplated and take your time with it. And this is a, so, you know, those have been a few of the spiritual benefits for me. I, and also like sometimes like there are some office of readings that I, I, I really look forward to so, a little hint for those who like to do the whole office apparent from what I've been told, you can sometimes, if it's just like a regular reading of the day, you can supplement the second reading with something else. Um, I have to look into that, but that's what I've been told. <laughs> and, uh, because like, but like sometimes they, like one of my favorite readings from the office of readings is from St. John Chrysostom in September when he talks about, um, glorifying both Christ in both his church and in the poor by lavishing mm -hmm. them both with gifts. It's one of the most powerful homilies. I look forward to it every year, right? I think it's like yeah. the first Saturday of September usually or something like that. I look forward to that reading every year. And I just, and so some of those have been really spiritually nourishing, right? Coming back to the same readings over and over again, uh, having a lot of, because of this, I memorize a lot of scripture. Yeah. Just because I say this every single day. Um, so there's been a ton of like those are those are some of the benefits that I would think of off the top of my head. What about yourself? Yeah, the one I want to bring up is that the Psalms, praying the Psalms, will put you in touch with the entire body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you, you pray the Psalms and you're like, this Psalm just does not apply to me today. Yeah, I'm having a terrible day, and this is about praising God. Yeah, or the opposite, um, I'm having a great day, and this Psalm is very sad. What's going on here? And it, it puts, you, puts you in touch with the rest of the body of Christ, because if you're having a good day and you're reading a penitential psalm or a, a sorrowful psalm, it reminds you that there are members of the body of Christ who are going through very difficult times right now. Mm -hmm. And by reading that psalm, you're not as far away from them as you used to be. 
because uh, if we are to be one body, you know, if you stub your pinky toe, your entire body feels it. And it's important that your entire body feels it in the same way that we need to experience both the the joy and the sorrow of the entire body. Mm-hmm. Also, I think it helps balance, balance out the spiritual life mm-hmm. that uh, in times of joy and consolation, those are good and should be accepted. But we also have to remind ourselves that there's also going to be hardships. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we are spiritually dry, when we have desolation, we read the Psalms of praise and remember that desolation does not last forever and there's hope. And sometimes even reading the Psalms of praise can lift you out of that desolation. Mm-hmm. Um, praying it in private allows you to make it spiritual reading. So if you you know have time in the middle of the day and you I'm going to read these Psalms really slowly and use them as spiritual reading, you can do that. Um, in communities, it's suggested that there be times of silence in between mm-hmm. the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And that can be a difficult thing. Because if you're in a community, every community has its own uh, proclivities, if you will, about how they pray it and stuff. And that can sometimes be a source of consternation for individual members of the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, at least, especially with the... Um, and it's funny because I used to be so annoyed by praying in community when I was in seminary. And now I really miss it. And the times that I've got to pray in community, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, this is really nice. You know, mm-hmm. um, also singing the Psalms in community. That's a thing I miss. Mm-hmm. The times we, we chanted the Psalms. I, I, I would say like I, I, one thing I miss a lot is that time of praying with my brothers in seminary. I remember I'd go visit yeah. the seminary a couple times after I was ordained. And that time of communal uh, evening prayer was really beautiful. It was yeah. really very nourishing. But uh, to wrap up, uh, yeah. both why and then like how you should pray the liturgy of the hours. Uh, why? Because it is the prayer of the church. You're entering into... Uh, the prayer of the body of Christ. Uh, It is a connection to the mass. So especially now, if you can't get to mass, a good way to connect yourself Mm -hmm. to that is by praying the liturgy of the hours. Um, It can help balance out uh, your spiritual life. Um, It helps sanctify moments of your day. And part of the reason, like, you know, for us, why it's so important for us to pray is that we have to fight to make Christ the center of our lives, even Mm -hmm. in ministry. And the discipline of praying the liturgy hours help us, helps us to fight for that, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's very true in regular old secular lay life. Like, um, that can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, how to pray it, I would honestly suggest getting something like Ibrevery. Because with that, you kind of can just read it straight through. Yeah. And um, it's free. The thing, And it's free. The, the tough thing with the books, even though I like praying oh, with them better... Is that um, the ribbons and flipping from pages? You've got to you've got to have someone teach you, and it, it's for me at least the only way to really learn it is yeah. to practice it with people who know how to do it. Yeah. Um, but if you can get a group together and you're like, hey, we're huh. going to pray the liturgy of the hours every Thursday night, that mm-hmm. can be a really good thing. Yeah. Also, these books are a wee bit expensive to get a four volume set. Yeah, about two hundred bucks for a full volume set, I think. Yeah, yeah, they they are. But there are neat little mini uh, liturgy mm-hmm. of the hours, um, like the uh, office of the uh, the little office of the Blessed Virgin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a kind of liturgy of the hours, a little more Marian centered. It's shorter, and like, hey, that's a good way to enter into it. Mm-hmm. Not nearly as expensive a, a, of a book. You also can just get um, the same publisher whoever makes this one. They have uh, volumes that are just morning and evening prayer. Um, but uh, it's one of those things, like any kind of prayer practice, to I think to appreciate it, you've got to give it a try for a while. Um, you know, give it a try for a few weeks. Um, but uh, Or, you know what, you can be <clears throat> one of those wonderful parishioners that goes to your pastor and says, hey, uh, can we pray Liturgy of the Hours one night a week mm-hmm. or something like that? And then you can volunteer to help organize it. Look mm-hmm. at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that. Uh, but it's a big part of the church. It's one of those parts of Vatican II that has not been implemented uh, as well as it probably could be. Although I would actually, I would I would push against that a bit because I, I, I've seen a lot of people, especially I'd say like kind of our generation of people, a lot of them love to yeah. pray some form of the Liturgy of the Hours. It's yeah, very common. Yeah. It's very common, I find. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I learned in 2004 after my conversion, I'd go to RCA and the priest, he'd get a group of people together to pray night prayer together every night. That's how I started praying the breviary, right? And that yeah. was great. And that was helpful. <clears throat> I, I think I think it's happening. I think it could happen more. But I, I actually, I would, I think, I think there's a lot out there. 
Yeah, I think it probably probably is, and it's more and more. I think it, it's a movement that's going. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember growing up, I had no idea right. that the liturgy hours was even a thing. So I think a lot of pres- a lot of people in pews probably the same way, except that I talk about it every once in a yeah. while in my preaching. Right. But uh, it's a good thing to do. It's the Prayer Universal Church. Yep. And that's what I got. Any nice. final thoughts, Father Harrison? Only that mm-hmm. I made a massive mistake and I forgot to press record on the YouTube video. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, I mean, you win some, you lose some. You win some, you lose some. That's it. That's Uh, all I got. Well, um, thanks for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me devoutly praying the Liturgy of the Hours. You can find me at FR Harrison on Twitter. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Sometimes find us on YouTube or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.